We've got a long reading today, Joshua 3 and 4. It tells us of the the time when uh, God is giving the land to the people that he's, to whom he's promised it. The book of Joshua is about God fulfilling his promise that he originally gave to Abram and his descendants and, and to Moses and to the people of God. And it was, uh, it was a promise that was reiterated throughout history. And here in chapters 3 and 4 is the account of the people passing over the Jordan into that land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and the people. It is them entering into their inheritance, entering into their rest. These are words that are used by the writers of Scripture to describe the promised land. So they left the slavery and an oppression uh, in Egypt when they were in bondage, and God led them through the water, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness towards the promised land. And of course then because they were sinful and rebelled against God, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And now, here in these chapters, the Lord, through Joshua, is leading them once more through the waters, through the Jordan River, into the land that they will finally find that rest, that promised rest in in that inheritance that God is giving them. So let's stand together and hear God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from you before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. 
Now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever." And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the, twelve, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, the people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Please be seated. Well, it is Reformation Day, and I want to quote from someone who was way before the Reformation, but who was important to the Reformation, Augustine of Hippo, lived several, well, maybe a thousand years before, something like that, maybe not quite that much, you know, I can't remember the exact dates, but Augustine was very important to Calvin especially, and he quotes Augustine more than anything in, in his great work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. 
But Augustine had written a book named, uh, called Confessions. It was kind of a biographical uh, uh, book, and it begins like this. Great are you, O Lord, and greatly to be praised, and great is your power, and infinite is your wisdom. And man desires to praise you, for he is part of your creation. He bears his mortality about with him and carries the evidence of his sin and the proof that you do resist the proud. Still, he desires to praise you, this man who is only a small part of your creation. You have prompted him that he should delight to praise you, for you have made us for yourselves, and restless is our heart until it comes to rest in you. And you've perhaps heard that last sentence, that last part of a sentence. You have made us for yourself, and restless is our heart until it comes to rest in you. You have made us for yourself, and restless is our heart until it comes to rest in you. Is your heart restless today? Are you anxious? Are you continuously unsatisfied in life? Do you find yourself looking for something and you don't know uh, what it is exactly that you're looking for? Or you think you know what you want, and when you finally get what you think you want, you've pursued it, but it, and you've gotten it, but it doesn't fulfill that longing in your soul. Maybe you filled your life with possessions and experiences that you thought would be fulfilling, but it's left you wanting more, unsatisfied. Are you frustrated? Do you feel like you can never quite reach and maintain that place of joy and peace and satisfaction? Augustine would say that your heart is restless. And it will continue to be restless until you find your rest in God. Our hearts were made, our lives, ourselves were made for God. And that's what I want to encourage all of us to do today and to practice today, to find our rest in God. And that is what I uh, have found in the book of Joshua. That's what the book of Joshua is, is helping encourage us to do. They're finding their rest, they're entering their rest, they're entering the promised land, but it's not just about the land. Go back to chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Before they set out for the promised land, the book of Deuteronomy is like a sermon, if you will, that Moses preached to that generation that was that is now entering the promised land under Joshua. It was at the end of Moses' life, and he's kind of giving uh, a recap of the covenant and their, what their relationship with the Lord should be. And he's telling this second generation, you know, the first generation has died out. They were rebellious against the Lord, and so they died in the wilderness. And Moses is preparing the second generation for their entrance into the promised land. And in chapter 12, he says, Look, I'm giving you all these statues and rules so that you, you will not do what the nations in the land are doing, worshiping foreign gods and worshiping foreign gods at certain places. You're supposed to go in and tear all those places down and, and not worship those gods. 
And he goes on, you shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing what is right in his own eyes, for you have not as yet, to, yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when, you, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contrib- contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants, and the Levite that is within your towns. So it's all about going to that place of rest to worship God. The rest is found in God, in having a relationship with God. Not just in entering a land and having an inheritance, but in actually having a place where you can settle down and go and worship the Lord and serve Him in that land. And when you get to the uh, chapter, the end of chapter 21 in Joshua, after they've entered the land, they've conquered the land, it says the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed, all came to pass. So it was all set up. They were there in the land. And then in chapters 22, 23, and 24, Joshua tells them how they can stay in the land. And it is all about their relationship with the Lord. If they reject God, if they, if they start worshiping other idols... They're going to get kicked out of the land. And, of course, that's eventually what happened. So they're, how they're going to stay in the land is, is to find their rest in God, to worship the Lord, to put him first. Well, this passage before us today tells us how they first entered that land and how the Lord is giving it to them. And I want to look at three things today. And The first thing I want to look at is the fact that God's presence leads to rest. God's presence leads to rest. You'll notice here that what Joshua is commanded to do, to tell the people to do, is to send the Levites, so the priests out, with the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Verse 3 of chapter 3. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits, which is about 1,000 yards in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Now, what was the Ark of the Covenant? Well, the Ark of the Covenant was a gold box that was made uh, through the instructions given to Moses. You can read about that in the book of Exodus. And this box contained the Ten Commandments. Aaron's rod that had budded when the sons of Korah rebelled against Aaron and his priesthood. And it also contained a jar of manna as a memorial for how God had provided for the children of Israel in the wilderness. And then on top of that box, this gold box, was what was called the mercy seat. The the Hebrew word means propitiatory, a place where sin was covered. 
And of course, the Ark of the Covenant was put into the Holy of Holies in the very innermost chamber of the tabernacle and later the temple once it was constructed. And it was into that place once a year where the priests went on the Day of Atonement and they burned incense and God appeared over the cloud of incense above the mercy seat on top of the ark. And that's where the blood of the atonement was sprinkled to pay for the sins of the people of God once a year. So it was a place of God's presence. And it was a place where atonement was made so that the relationship between God and the people could be maintained. The ark signified the presence of the Lord with them. And not only the presence of the Lord, you'll notice there in chapter uh, 3, verse 3 and and other places, he refers to the ark as the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God. It's the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God. It contained the covenant. It contained the Ten Commandments, the, the, the law of Moses. And was a place where it was a reminder of that relationship that they had with God and all the promises that he made to them. So when it says that the, the ark went before them into the promised land, it was a thousand yards ahead of them, it symbolized God's presence with them. God was going before them into the land. God stops up the waters of the Jordan so they can go in. And he leads them, and they're going to take the ark into battle. Now they're staying a thousand yards away from him. You say, well, that's a long way. I don't know if I can see that far. Uh, But that's exactly why they had to stay away from it, so they could see where it was going. Some people wrote that it was because it was holy and you needed to stay clear of it. If you're just a common person... But we'll see in chapter 6, the Battle of Jericho, they're hauling the ark around the walls of Jericho, and they're all around it. And of course, once people go into the tabernacle to worship, they don't go into the Holy of Holies, but they're certainly closer than a thousand yards from the ark. So that can't be it, but it explains why. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. You need to be able to see it. And this we're talking tens and tens of thousands of people. And they could witness God's presence going forth before them, leading them into the promised land, fulfilling all the promises, the covenant promises that he had made to those people. What an encouragement it was to them. And to see the ark there blocking the water, and not, not that the ark was so big that it could block the water, but the priests were all standing on dry ground. The ark was there. God was providing a way into rest. God was providing that for them. God's presence led them to rest. God was with them, leading them, making a way for them, fighting for them so they could get to that place of rest, the land flowing with milk and honey where they could worship and serve their God. So you've got that ark there, and that's just a great encouragement to them that he was going before them, his presence, he was with them and working miracles for them. And Joshua's promised that you're going to see something mighty today. And they did. And they're going to see even greater things than that. And then in chapter 4, you've got uh, these 12 stones, um, this memorial that they set up, another encouragement of God's presence. Look at verse 20. 
of chapter 4. Those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. And here's the, 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 the teaching that he's giving them. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now there were times when they were in the wandering around the desert for 40 years. They'd been brilliantly and miraculously rescued from Egypt going through the Red Sea and the Egyptian army destroyed in the, in the waters there. As they wandered around the, the desert, there were certainly times where it seemed that God had abandoned them, that God was not with them and would not follow through on his promises. But here, at the rivers of the Jordan, he's doing so. He is fulfilling his promise. He is with them. And he is leading them into rest. Everything that the Lord rescued them from, from Egypt, he is fulfilling his promises. It's a long and winding road that's gotten them there. But here they are. And maybe you're there today, here, here today, and you're thinking, I'm not sure that the Lord's promises are for me. I'm not sure that the Lord is with me. But you don't know. Just because you're wandering around the desert doesn't mean that the Lord is, is not with you. The hand of the Lord is mighty, and he will reveal himself. And as you see him work, you will fear the Lord. That's what we want to see, don't we? We want to see the Lord working in our lives. In Exodus 14, it says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. See, they saw what God was doing and they feared the Lord. Verse 24, all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty when he sees what he's doing for you. And you will fear the Lord. We should be growing in our fear of the Lord as we see God's presence and work in our lives and in the lives of others. So we see what God is doing. I wonder sometimes if uh, the reason we don't fear the Lord is we're not mindful of what God is doing. We're not celebrating what God is doing in people's lives and lives changed. Let's pray that the Lord works in our day, in our midst, in our lives, and in our hearts. He's promised. He's faithful. He's promised to be with us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's what he did for these Israelites. Led them into the promised land, his presence with them. And what an encouragement that would be. Well, the second thing I want you to see is God's person leads to rest. And this person is Joshua, of course. God has chosen Joshua to take up the, the mantle of Moses, and Joshua is leading them into the land. And, and it's the Lord doing it through Joshua. It's not just that Joshua is a brilliant leader, the Lord is using him. The Lord is speaking to him. The Lord is guiding and directing him every step of the way. 
chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I'm going to do this. It's not because you're so great. I'm going to work through you. In verse 8, And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still under the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. You see what jo- Joshua did there. God used Joshua. He spoke to Joshua. He guided and directed to Joshua. Gave him his word. And Joshua gave the word to the people. Look at chapter 4. After all the people had finished passing over, verse 11, uh, the, the tribes that had settled on the east side of the Jordan also came across, at least their fighting men did, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. In verse 14, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. He began it in chapter 3, and here he is completing it in chapter 4. I will exalt you, and here he is exalting him. And notice, just the same, verse 15. I love that this verse, this is all this verse says. Verse 15, and the Lord said to Joshua. I love that whoever put the verses in, the verses were added much later to the Hebrew text and and to the New Testament text as well, or to, to both, they just, put, they just made that the verse. And the Lord said to Joshua. It's not even a complete sentence. See, God used Joshua to communicate his word to his people. The Lord said to Joshua. I think that underscores that fact. Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. God's word came to them through Joshua God did this thing through Joshua. Joshua is leading them into the promised land. God is leading them through Joshua into the promised land. The Ark of the Covenant, God's presence is leading them into the promised land. God is with them and God has provided a leader for them, a person to lead them into the promised land. That's the second thing. First thing, God's presence leads them into the promised land. God's person leads them into the promised land. Now, the third thing I want you to see is this. God's presence and God's person are united in Jesus Christ. And he leads us to the rest. He leads us to rest. If we want to have rest for our souls, it must come through Jesus Christ. He is God's presence with us. He is God's person for us. He is called Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Word, the Logos. You know, Joshua was given the Word. Jesus is the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory. So Joshua points us to Jesus. Joshua was God's man to lead, and God, he, got, he was receiving God's word. Jesus is God taking on human flesh, the word himself coming to us. So if we want to know the way to go to get to the rest, to get to our inheritance, to get to the promised land, 
Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Joshua points us to Jesus. The Ark of the Covenant points us to Jesus. Jesus is God with us, his presence with us. Just as the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was covered with the mercy seat where the atonement took place, where the blood of the atonement was sprinkled, Jesus is our atonement. He's the mediator between God and man. The relationship that we are called to have with God, to have that rest, is maintained through Jesus' sacrifice for sin. It's only through that that we can know true rest, to be forgiven for our, the guilt that weighs so heavily upon us for our sins and to free us from the power of sin and one day from the very presence of sin at all. See, the ark points us to Jesus. The mercy seat points us to Jesus. And then the memorial stones that are set up as this monument to remember the mighty works of the Lord point us to Jesus. What, what is more a demonstration of God's might than God becoming a man and, and was born as a baby and, and is preserved through all the people trying to kill him all of his life until he finally does lays down his own life of his own accord. God dies. But then he rises from the grave. Is there a mightier work than that? And, and, the, and all the work in his life, death, and resurrection saves sinners such as we are from our sin. There's no greater work than that. That's why he did it. For the joy set before him. This great act, this mighty work of God that he did propelled him to take on the shame of the cross and the suffering. It all points to Jesus so that we might fear the Lord to be in awe and respect for this great God and his mighty works for sinners such as we are and that the rest that we long for, he's, he's providing for us in Christ. Where are you looking today to find peace and rest and comfort? Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, the word rest is used in several ways in Scripture. It's just used like a non-theological way, rest. God rested from his work at creation. There's a Sabbath rest. Where it's a day of rest. We're not supposed to work our jobs on the Sabbath, etc. But there's also this theological sense that we've been talking about. Rest promised to Israel that they would enter the promised land and find rest, rest from their enemies, rest and felicity in life, able to worship God, every man under his own vine and fig tree, shalom in their lives, peace. But also, although rest in the Old Testament remains in the sphere of promise, there's this New Testament fulfillment of rest. Christians, by faith in Christ, have entered into rest. He is our peace. All who comes to him gets rest for their souls. Relief, release, and satisfaction for the soul. It's all there in Christ. But there's also something more 
even than that. There's an eschatological sense of rest, something that we're all looking forward to, an eternal rest. You know, the writer of Hebrews said, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And he was saying, look, Joshua didn't give the people of Israel rest because David's still looking for rest, and he's in Jerusalem, Psalm 95. And the writer of Hebrews says, there's, there's still a rest to be had. And those Christians, you need to enter into that rest and, and, in effect, embrace Christ, like I'm encouraging you to do today. But there's even, uh, there still even remains a Sabbath rest for us who've embraced Christ. There's something that we have to look forward to, the celestial city, the heavenly country that God has made with his own hands for his people. And that's still in the future. But today there's a task there's a fight of faith to be carried out. There's a pilgrimage we're on to that celestial place. There's death. It's the prelude to that rest. It's not the fullness of rest yet. It'll only come when Christ returns one day. But to everyone who's entered into the rest of faith in Christ... We know that that final resting place is secure. It is ours in Christ. And it gives us hope for the days in which we are fighting the fight and on the pilgrimage. So I want to encourage you today, as you fight the fight, as you labor on your pilgrimage to the celestial city, that you would continuously trust in Christ and fear the Lord, as it says there, you know, that Remember his mighty works and have an awe and a reverence and a respect for a God who is, who is leading us by his presence and his power into the promised land through his person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, as Martin Luther said, that word above all earthly powers, he abideth. You know, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, his truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Are you a part of that kingdom, that kingdom of rest? All you have to do is call on Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for your Word, the encouragement that we find here. Lord, help us to enter into rest for our souls by trusting Christ. Lord, we run after so many things. Our lives are so full of distractions. False pursuits that are put before us as the answer to all of life's problems. Forgive us for not trusting you and your word. That if we, do, that we, we need Christ. And the whole point is not to, to secure a land or even to say that I've got heaven, but to come into a relationship with you, a covenant relationship with you. So Lord, help us all to taste and see that the Lord is good and to walk with you ever before your face, knowing that your presence is with us if we're putting our trust in you and trust in Christ. Lord, give us strength for the fight, free from distraction. Help us, Lord, to ever focus upon you and to proclaim your truth to a lost and dying world so that they too might rejoice and find, rejoice in you and find in you rest for their souls. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.